Turret. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. Point here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The year was 1991. A very interesting book came out in that particular year, written by James Patterson and uh, Kim. They were Peter Kim. They were. Uh, advertising agents for the J. Walter Thompson Advertising Agency, and they did a massive study on what Americans believe. Not what they want people to think they believe, but what they really do believe deep down in their hearts. They recorded their findings in a book called The Day America Told the Truth. The Day America Told the Truth, what people really believe about everything that really matters. It's an amazing book. I have referred to it many, many times here on Viewpoint, but I want to direct our attention to one particular aspect here in this book. They asked the question, who is the new moral authority in America? Remember, this is 1991. Their answer, you are, partner, you are. You are the new moral authority in America. Now, how could that be in a nation that claims to be under God and that uh, supposedly revered the Ten Commandments, which were embrazened over the uh, Supreme Court justices and so on. How could that possibly be, that we are our own moral authority? But by 1991, that's what they concluded as a result of their study, two secular advertising agents having done this study. They said there are those who call themselves truly religious, And some people may be surprised at the demographics. How does the growing number of non-religious Americans compare to those who still hold to traditional beliefs? Can a judgment be made about who's moral or more moral? They said people describing themselves as very religious, 14%, definitely make better citizens. The very religious scored much higher than did other people on moral questions that most of us would accept as defining citizenship in a civilized society. But they go on to say, if religion doesn't give us satisfactory answers, does that mean we believe that there are no rules for morality, that anything goes? Well, not entirely, they said. Americans still have a lively sense of what sin means. And if there is one ideal that underlies our definition of sin, it's the oldest, most universal principle of them all, the golden rule. Sin, as most of us see it today, is doing unto others what we don't want them to do to ourselves. But, they said, fewer than two people in five, that is, no more than 40%, believe that sin is going against God's will or going against the Bible or violating the Ten Commandments. For the rest of us, sin is defined by our own consciences. We define what is sinful and what isn't. In other words, there is no truth concerning sin or morality. If that be true, perhaps now we can understand better why an entire generation later, truth has fallen in the streets, just as the prophet Isaiah said would happen. God said, truth has fallen in the streets. Hmm. Being trampled. In fact, we're actually told the truth is being redefined. 
that you have certain truths, I have certain truths, but they're not really true. They're just my perception of the way things should be based upon my history, my experiences, and my perception concerning what's going on in our world. So every day, says our guest today, every moment of every day, you and I are living in a world-defining conflict. It's a struggle between two competing views of truth. One says that truth, that with a capital T, can be known objectively through reason and revelation. It's total truth or true truth or real truth. And the other says that truth cannot be so known. All we have is so-called truths that are stories we tell ourselves to make sense of our experiences. Is that really true? Well, indeed it is. And therefore, we have this massive divide in America today. It's not just a political divide. The politics are a reflection of our perceptions of truth. And it ain't a pretty picture. If a nation is divided against itself, how can it stand? That's where we are today. So, with that introduction, I bring to our attention Dr. Jeff Myers, who is joining us again here on Viewpoint from Colorado. He is uh, heading up a ministry called Summit Ministries, and he has a book called Truth Changes Everything, How People of Faith Can Transform the World in Times of Crisis. You think these are times of crisis, Jeff? <laughs> we do live in times of crisis, Chuck. I mean, you talk about this on your show all of the time. They, uh, But these are not the worst crises that have ever taken place in the history of the world. So part of the job I had to do in this book was to go back and look at those past times and ask, what did people who were Jesus followers do when everything seemed to be at an end? Mm. And what we, what we can learn from them, I just, I've been so personally uh, compelled by it and fascinated by it. It's given a whole new sense of meaning to the way I do the work I do. Yeah. Well, you have to have some measure of hope to do the kind of work that you do. Help us to find out, tell us what kind of work you really do. Are you summit ministries? Does that mean you're leading people to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, Mount Everest, uh, and Anaconda and those great uh, peaks? <laughs> We're leading people to the summit of truth. Oh, uh, okay. And I know you, you, um, I believe your daughter attended this program many years ago. David Noble was the founder of the program. Right. Based in a little antique hotel in hippie Manitou Springs, Colorado. And young adults come here during the summertime for two weeks. Uh, we bring them together with the top Christian thought leaders who love Jesus, who will teach them the truth, mm-hmm. and help them prepare to be strong in their faith when they go off to the university. So we're equipping and supporting a rising generation, and now we're able to influence about 70,000 young people every year, which has just been uh, tremendous. And we feel that um, as we're looking at what they're doing in their lives, working mm-hmm. in the politics and in the military, business, all these different areas— that they are doing, they're being faithful, and we're seeing the tide turn in a lot of areas. But as you mentioned in the introduction, we're in a really rough spot in this country. A very rough spot indeed. And uh, as you mentioned, my daughter, uh, who happens to be my assistant and has been for umpteen years now, uh, went at the uh, suggestion, the strong suggestion of Dr. James Dobson, uh, who said, I'm going to pay your way and that of my son, Ryan, 
And I want you guys to go to Summit Ministries. This is a great thing. And uh, I think they found it that to, that to be true. But that was many years ago, almost eons ago. Yeah, that was. I think you, you mentioned that it was in the early 1990s. Well, I, the Summit Ministries is celebrating its 60th year in ministry this yeah. year. And if you can imagine the impact of that, that David Noble was able to have as the founder uh, working here for 50 years. I've been here for the last 10 years, but we're still doing the yeah. same thing. We're well, I think that was in the 1980s, actually. In the 1980s, time is marching on so quickly here, uh, Jeff, as you know. <laughs> but there's another sense in which time is marching on, too. And that brings a different kind of perspective to all this. And that is, we want to have hope. On the other hand, the Bible tells us that things are going to come to an end. How do we carry hope amid that understanding? We'll be back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at Save Up. Welcome back to Viewpoint, my friends. I'm Chuck Chris Myers. Conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. We're preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour, but we're also confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective, which we call truth. In fact, we call it absolute truth. That is, those of us who believe in the fear of the Lord and the authority of Scripture. But what if we don't believe that? How many of our current countrymen don't believe that? Well, here are the results of a variety of studies and statistics. So, now the balance has tipped from those who predominantly believe in the God of the Bible that he has communicated his truth, his will, his word, and his ways in and through the scriptures and through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, with more than half of Americans of all ages claiming their their truths are up to an individual, even among church-going, self-identified Christians, the percentage who believe that truth can be known has shrunk below 50%, friends below 50%. And for our young people, the latest study that I remember from George Barna is that among our Christian young people, only 9% believe that Jesus Christ was the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Excuse me, believed in absolute truth. Only 20% believe that Jesus Christ was the only way, the only truth, and the only life. In other words, they didn't believe in absolute truth while claiming to be Christians. And only 4% of their secular counterparts believed in something approximating absolute truth. That means, friends, we're living in an extremely unstable world filled with chaos because we have no anchor for our thinking or even our souls. That's why I decided to bring on Dr. Jeff Myers to talk about his latest book, Truth Changes Everything, which, by the way is available to you 
for your gift of $17 or more to Save America Ministries. $17 or more to Save America Ministries is going to put it in your hands. I hope you'll get a copy of it. Uh, you can go to our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Or you can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, Jeff, uh, you have before your name D.R. What does that stand for? Direct Revelation, or what does it stand for? (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. I uh, I have this Ph.D., and uh, people have teased me. That stands for Pilot Higher and Deeper. Okay. Okay. Well, at least you're truthful. (laughs) You know, they won't allow me to put D.R. in front of my name. They put it after my name, J.D., Right. Juris yeah. doctor. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah, that's the difference between the, the kind of schools that we that we went to and what we prepared for. But, yeah, so, so I, I guess what it means is I've done my time on university <laughs> and had a, a pretty good idea of what's being taught, what has been taught yeah. over the last several decades and what's being taught now. Uh, just because we get to work with so many students at Summit Ministries who are on campuses, they keep mm-hmm. us well-informed about what professors believe. And and we've, as you mentioned in the introduction, we've long since passed the time when people believe that you could actually seek the truth. Now they say we're going to speak our truth. Mm -hmm. And we wonder why 75% of young adults say they don't have a sense of purpose in life that gives them meaning. Right. 53% say they regularly struggle with anxiety and depression. When you talk to any mental health authority, especially those people dealing with addictions, they will tell you the very first thing you have to do if you're going to find healing is grapple with reality, capital R. You cannot make up your own truth. And the word reality then is defined by truth, and truth defines reality. Therefore, if you're making up your own truth and you're you're the all your own moral authority, as Patterson and Kim uh, uh, realized back in 1991, then we have no anchor for our souls. We have no direction for our society. No wonder we're in such a, a catastrophic state of confusion. Yeah, and I think it's not just the people are. Uh, unwittingly confused. I mean, the the Apostle Paul talked with Timothy, Timothy and said there are all people who are always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Mm. Well, why why is that? Some are unwittingly deceived, as Paul talks about. Right. Then he goes on to say that there are people who will will stop tolerating sound doctrine, who will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want. To hear. Well, he's they talking about people who profess to be Christians there. He's not talking about the secular world. He's talking about people who profess to be Christians, and that's where the greater danger is, isn't it? That's where we are. So we have now passed the tipping point where the majority of people who claim to have a relationship with Jesus now say they believe truth is up to the individual rather than it is something we can know through reason and through revelation. This uh, has not happened that I'm aware of in the history of the United States. Right. I agree with that. 
And by the way, that's why I believe that the Lord spoke to my heart as a practicing trial attorney in California back in 1992. And he said, son, you didn't plead the cause of man long enough. I want you to plead my cause in the land now as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation, America's greatest crisis hour. And I said, yes, sir. And we immediately formed Save America Ministries to rebuild the foundations of faith and freedom, which means you have to restore a conviction of truth. And uh, so that really is is where it is. That's what we've been doing here. And we have to have a certain measure of hope that what we do, what you do, what I do, makes a difference in people's lives. On the other hand, we do know that you and I can't save the world from eternity. There is a point where things are going to come to an end. And so the truth is that what you and I do in trying to prepare uh, people's lives in understanding the truth has to have a, shall we say, a border that this is not to prepare you to live an eternal life uh, without Christ, but it's to help you to prepare for the times that are coming when everything is going to come in an end and the trumpet is going to sound. Well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, too, of the more words from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, and, and partly because as I, as I wrote this book, I went through a cancer battle, and I wasn't sure if I was going to live. Oh, so boy. Asking the question at the time, well, what, what if I don't? What, what's the most important thing I can say mm-hmm. if I might not live through the process? And so I, I realized it was the message about truth. Mm-hmm. But remember that Paul told Timothy, he warned him, he said, and hard times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, boastful, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Doesn't that describe that everything that we ago, see today? Describes, oh, it describes our time just as well today as it did 2,000 years ago. But it wasn't. it's not new to us. It's just the recognition that in every age we have evil and we have the opportunity. You know, when the Apostle talked about it, he said, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Yeah. So that's what I did. You know, that's what I was trying to do. I just decided to do a study. Look back at these people in history, especially people in times where things were so bad that nobody thought the world could survive, like in the Black Plague. What did mm-hmm. Christians do then? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was fascinating to learn that they didn't abandon God. Rather, they said, you know, God is not absent in our suffering. He is suffering with us mm. and we don't know what how long we'll live we don't know what the future holds right but we can live faithfully and you know what Chuck? they changed the course of history well they did but it cost them their lives to do that first it cost christ his life then it cost every one of the disciples their lives except perhaps one So there is a cost, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, of discipleship. In other words, a cost to be a truth-bearer. That is right, yeah. Anyone, any who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We are shown that in Scripture. So if, if we decide as Christians that we'd rather live a life of pleasure, that we'd rather uh, not be bothered, that we're going to live our lives so as not to offend other people, 
then it'll be very difficult for us to have any influence on the world that's positive, and it will be all, it will be nearly impossible for us to um, live lives of meaning and purpose ourselves, and then we face eternity. One of the great uh, conflicts, uh, apparently, over the past, uh, say, 75 years, uh, going all the way back to the Scopes uh, trial, uh, what we have, in fact, it would be more than 75 years, I think, now. But what we have now is an apparent, inevitable conflict between science and biblical truth. Well, I say inevitable because that's the way it's looked at today. But if we go back in history, we find that almost all of the early scientists, the great scientists of the past, were they embraced the concept of absolute truth, they embraced biblical truth, and they had a God view of life. And they felt that because of that, because there was a creator who had ordered things, that made it possible for them to discover scientifically. Today, that's been completely turned on its head, hasn't it? It has, and you you are correct about the history of it, and, and which is one of the most fun things about writing. Uh, I wrote the chapter on science to sort of explore that and see if it was really so. And I discovered along the way that of the 52 individuals who founded modern science, mm-hmm. only one was an atheist. And I, now I've had people say, well, that was so long ago. Everybody was just culturally Christian. But it, it isn't true. If you look back at their lives, two-thirds of them were what we would call evangelical Christian, Nicholas Copernicus, mm-hmm. who is, is one of the, the, well, the main person who discovered uh, the, the nature of the solar system. Right. He did that because he was teaching a class about the Bible and wanting to offer some apologetics. So he, he, he wanted to teach about the truth of the resurrection, and he studied astronomy in order to reliably discern the date of Easter. And then you and also have a fellow by the name of uh, Sir Isaac Newton, who uh, uh, wrote the Principia, he developed the calculus, and was considered one of the most brilliant scientists ever in the history of mankind. And uh, he actually three, wrote books on prophecy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wrote He wrote all about all of that. There are so many. There are so, so many. It was fun. I looked at the story of Robert Boyle. Mm-hmm. Um, he grew up as a very, in a very wealthy household. His family lived in a castle that had been built by King John that his father purchased from Sir Walter Raleigh. If anybody could have grown up as a trust fund baby and been spoiled and wasted his life, it could have been Robert Boyle. Hmm. But he didn't. Instead, he became the founder of modern chemistry and along the way wrote a book called The Christian Virtuoso, which is how to be an experimental philosopher who loves Jesus. That experimental philosopher was his term for scientist. But even still, John Lennox from Oxford University said that two-thirds of the people who have ever won the Nobel Prize in science list Christian as their affiliation. So uh, it is a myth that is perpetuated by today's atheists that there is a conflict between faith and science. um, There's an interesting observation made by Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, who recently passed away but was a rabbi, a very Mm -hmm. well-respected rabbi in London, and he said, Science takes things apart to see how they work. Religion puts things together to see what they mean. Wow, and that's a pretty good idea, statement. It's a pretty cool statement, yeah, but it's, it just demonstrates that the conflict between <clears throat> science and faith 
is perpetuated, uh, the, the idea that there is a conflict is perpetuated by people who want to take worship away from God and turn it toward themselves. Well, that's exactly what Richard Levantin said. Uh, from Harvard, he was a, uh, uh, a strong evolutionist, and he made the statement that's been so often quoted that uh, we cannot allow, uh, the, the reason we can't allow any talk about God or religion or anything like that in our conversation is because we can't allow a divine foot in the door. In other words, we don't want to give God or the idea of absolute truth even an ounce of opportunity to affect our alleged science. So uh, that's a pretty bold statement. And uh, certainly when uh, Darwin uh, came up with his evolutionary theory, he basically said, in effect, he knew that he was crucifying God. (laughs) I mean, it's just amazing uh, how things have changed. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived, Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Today on Viewpoint, we're talking about truth, the nature of truth, what has happened to the concept of truth in our society, in our world, and what the consequences are and what the hope is to restore truth in our conversation, to restore truth even in God's own house. That's what we're talking about, and our guest today says truth changes everything. I agree with that, how people of faith can transform the world in times of crisis. People of faith has to mean professing true Christians because people of any faith are not going to transform the world in times of crisis because they don't embrace truth, not absolute truth. So, Jeff, I would take uh, umbrance with your word uh, faith, people of faith. I think it's an inappropriate term. It's a term that panders, I think, to the culture so as not to offend somebody. But in reality, what we're talking about is people of genuine Christian belief, aren't we? Well, the book makes it very clear that that's what it's about. It's it's a book about Jesus' followers. Yeah, exactly. Who believe that Jesus is the truth. So uh, there are there were people from the Greek world and the Roman world and people in philosophy all throughout time who believed that truth exists and that you can actually discover how uh, our our, uh, recognition of truth corresponds to reality as it actually exists. But the Mm -hmm. Christian claim is that the truth can be known, and the truth is not just 
a series of logical postulates or a mathematical formula. It's a living, breathing person. The truth is Jesus. Yeah. Jesus said in John fourteen six, "You will uh, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me." That's the most offensive statement in the culture today, isn't it? Right. If if yeah, well, if you believe that truth is up to the individual, any one person saying that they are the truth means that they are trying to take power away from you. They're trying to make your life worse by making their life better. But if truth exists in reality, then it, then you've got a very different kind of calculation to make. I could go up on top of the Summit Ministries Hotel here, the Grandview Hotel in Manatee Springs, Colorado, four stories off of the ground, and I can think thoughts of upness, but when I jump, I'm going down. <laughs> <They'll know. laughs> Is that, that is, what you call worldview? That is tough. That, yeah, <laughs> or you, earth you view. Don't, that's right. You, you don't violate the law of gravity. You prove it. Yeah. So if you if you recognize that there are scientific truths, and most people do, I mean, if, if I were to say to somebody, uh, water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit at sea level, somebody might say, well, it's not exactly 212, or it depends on the atmospheric conditions. Mm-hmm. But nobody's going to say, hey, keep your opinions to yourself. You know, your truth is your business. I have my truth. Yeah, because I believe that water boils at zero. <laughs> right, 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 yes, yes. And historical truths. Right. We know they're historical truths as well, but we also know... Chuck, that they're moral truths. And this kind of comes back to the point that if, like, there is a knowable difference between these two statements. Statement A, it is good to care for abandoned puppies. And statement B, it is good to torture abandoned puppies. There is a knowable difference between those two things because our words refer to things that are actually real. Mm -hmm. Anybody who says truth is just speak your truth, man. Truth is up to you. And then all of a sudden you start talking about something like justice. They say, well, justice is, you know, whatever you want it to be. Oh, really? So then why do you say things are unjust? There's no, if, if, right. On what basis? There's no such thing as justice except what you personally want to have happen and are willing to either use force or shame to uh, get others to comply. Mm. And unfortunately, that's where the new tolerance uh, comes into play because it's not tolerance at all it's an effort to try to compel you to uh, agree with someone else otherwise you'll be canceled or destroyed that's not tolerance right right yes yeah well you know america has tried to and sometimes successfully sometimes unsuccessfully have kind of what you might call a soft pluralism where, look, I know we disagree about this, but we can still be neighbors. Mm-hmm. I don't have to, you know, take my trash can and dump it on your lawn just right. because we vote for different people. Mm-hmm. But but that has moved to the point now where people say, if you make any truth claims at all that I don't like, then it's my obligation to overpower you, shame you, cancel you, ruin your reputation or whatever else it is, mm-hmm. so that uh, your voice is silent in the culture forever after there's a spirit that goes along with that uh it is a the selfish spirit it's the uh the selfie spirit uh it's that uh i know everything you don't know anything 
this is one of the reasons, Jeff, why a number of years ago, actually about 10 years ago, we removed from our website the ability of people, listeners, to respond. You know why? Because Christians would use as much vitriol as their secular, secular counterparts. It was not helpful at all. Not helpful at all. And so uh, that's why we did it. And the, it's almost as if the whole social, social media setup now is calculated to bring animosity and strife. I wouldn't even say almost. I would say it's intentionally set up that way. Uh, social media companies develop their algorithm to monetize anger. So it, it is it is literally the case that posts that express indignant disagreement receive two to three times as much uh, promotion mm-hmm. through the social media company algorithms as those that do not. So it, it is it is a it's a form of it's a way for people to make money by making people angry at one another. Exactly. I, you know, I don't Americans. I don't think are really surprised by this anymore. Uh, at least I hope they're coming to an awareness of it. I mean, surely people understand by now that when you do a Google search, the algorithms tailor the news for you. You're not getting the truth. You're getting what the social media companies think you want based on what you have searched for in the past. Mm, mm, mm. So two people who search for the exact same thing are going to get very different results. It's it's just, it's the idea of, you know, the world revolves around you as long as you're giving us money. And, and so, yeah, that's that's very clearly one of, one of the problems. All right, so that's your goal, though, thing. your goal through Summit Ministries and even through this book is to say, okay, now, given that these are the things, this is the way things are, now what do we do? How do we, as true followers of Jesus Christ, approach the issue of truth? How do we deal with it? How do we make a difference? Can the truth really make a difference? Or are things so far gone that we better go hide in a hole somewhere? <laughs> Sometimes, some days it seems like it might be nice to hide in a hole. Well, I agree. I've been doing this 27 and a half years, and even within the church, I understand this. Let me just give a little bit of hope. At Summit Ministries, we've been partnering with several different research companies Mm -hmm. to try to understand the cultural moment that we're a part of. We partner with George Barna, who you mentioned earlier. But we also partner with the McLaughlin Group. John McLaughlin's Mm -hmm. national polls come out every month, and they get hundreds of millions of views. And we add questions to John McLaughlin polls every month so that we can understand what's going on. And here's what I've concluded. Only 5 to 8% of the people in this country are real jerks. Everybody else. <laughs> what is, is a real jerk? Now, there you've got a truth oh. issue. Yeah. No. <laughs> so I, I can, I, believe it or not, I can actually define it. That's how, that's how nerdy I am. Oh, these boy. Are the kind of people, yeah, these are the kind of people who say, um, they do not believe that Christians should have any voice in the culture. They openly admit to and are proud of the fact that they use shame and canceling to try to stop other voices. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're very angry. They say that they respond to conflict by shutting other people out of, or cutting other people out of my life. Okay. So that's what I mean. That's what that's I mean. That's a jerk. That okay. That's a jerk. Very few people are actually that way. So one out of 20, maybe one out of 18 people that you talk mm-hmm, to might mm-hmm. actually be that way. All right. And so many people shut down 
and say, I'm not going to say anything at all because I don't want to offend anyone because they're afraid that that one person, that one out of 20, is going to pop up in their face and scream at them. Well, they don't want to be jerked around. They don't. (laughs) But they miss all the opportunities. Okay. To really speak the truth. So All right, so what do you say to us? What do we do then, realizing the culture is filled with uh, uh, such jerkishness and that more than 50%, even of professing Christians, don't believe in absolute truth? Now what? The Apostle Paul gives us an, uh, an example of how to do it. And it's very difficult to believe that it actually works okay. unless you're in the arena. He says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, mm-hmm. but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach mm-hmm. and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Mm. There's a lot there. Oh yeah. You don't ever you don't ever hold back because you're afraid of offending someone, but you engage gently with patience in the hope that God will grant them repentance. I can't make anybody repent, Chuck. And anything if I say repent, you know, you should be ashamed of what you believe. The best I'm going to get is short-term change until yeah. somebody else comes along and persuades them otherwise. Our hope is that they will come to their senses, escape the trap of the devil, that God will grant them repentance. Mm-hmm. That means we have to have a very different kind of strategy. That means we have to learn to dialogue. That means we have to learn to listen to people whose uh, viewpoints we disagree with and then be willing to engage them, uh, teaching them, correcting them, rebuking them as the Apostle Paul said. And we do that for ourselves as well as for other people, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Absolutely. And so it's another way of saying a man convinced against his will will be of the same opinion still. I have come to the opinion, and we've been doing this for 27 years on this program, we do not engage in argument. We'll have discussion, but we will not engage in argument. It doesn't do any good. It just polarizes people. And then we get proud, like with much of so-called, well, we'll get out to it after this break. I'll bring it up, and uh, you can tell me what you think. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Save us. 
some of the most argumentative people that I have ever encountered were Christians who engaged in what they thought were apologetics. They like to argue. They think they're going to elevate their rationalistic thinking over everybody else's thinking, and they'll just argue, and it becomes very much like a barnyard spitting contest. That's of great concern to me, Jeff. Give me your take. Well, as we talked about earlier, when Paul was instructing Timothy, thinking that it was the last thing he would ever write to him, and it apparently was, that he was he was martyred shortly thereafter. Yeah. This was very much on his mind. Don't be people who quarrel. Now, you engage. You teach. Right. You rebuke. You correct. You do that with great patience and, and with endurance. So all of those commands, and I just would encourage people to go back and reread Second Timothy, because it's almost as if the, the words he was speaking to Timothy, you, you'll, you'll find directly relate to the way you see things happening, even right now in our political campaign. Mm-hmm. So there, there, But there are several things we've got to do in order to do that. Uh, one thing I encourage my students to do is to ask questions. You know, we, we know a lot about the teachings of Jesus, and we hold to them. But Jesus asked 288 questions in the gospel. Isn't that fascinating? So, so I, I've never heard a sermon about the questions of Jesus. I've heard lots of sermons about the teachings of Jesus. Right. Never a sermon about the questions of Jesus. And if you go back and look at some of the questions, they they it, well, he wasn't asking because he didn't have the information. For example, when somebody asked, "Well, what's the what are the what's the most important law?" and he he asked the person, "How do you read it?" Mm-hmm. Okay, Jesus, you know, as John John uh, said, John testified this in John chapter 1, that when when uh, Philip went to his buddy Nathaniel after Jesus called him, he said, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophet, okay? So it's not that Jesus did not know about the law, okay? Moses wrote about him. Mm-hmm. This is all predicted, and but he still wanted to engage that person in conversation. Right. I thought that was fascinating. Mm-hmm. There are other fascinating examples. When you look at when Jesus went through Jericho, blind Bartimaeus called out, Jesus, you know, pay attention to me, heal me. And Jesus came up to him and asked, what, what do you want me to do for you? Now, you can imagine if you were one of the disciples, you would be rolling your eyes, pounding your forehead. <laughs> Jesus, he's blind. But Jesus did not assume that the blind man wanted to see. He wanted Bartimaeus to say, I want to see. Mm-hmm. Then Jesus healed him. Right. So those questions of Jesus are really important. Yeah. You can, we can, any of us can do this. Ask questions like, you know, tell me more about that. You've given me your viewpoint. Where did it come from? Mm-hmm. How did you arrive at that conclusion? You used this term, truth. Yeah. or justice, or oppression, or racism, or whatever, what do you mean by that term? Mm-hmm. How do you know that what you believe is true? Those right. simple kinds of questions can actually be used to show respect for other people, to allow them to feel comfortable sharing with you, mm-hmm. and questions are especially good because they keep on asking long after the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Like the question that Satan asked uh, Eve in the garden, what hath God said? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's the question we should be asking ourselves. Uh, and unfortunately, if you don't, if you have disregarded or dissed God's truth or authority, uh, your answer to that question is it doesn't matter what God has said. It's what I think. And therein lies our problem. Politics. Or what I feel. Or what I, oh, now you've gone to the F word, feeling. (laughs) That really is where it's at, isn't it? Well, because people are taking their temperature constantly. Well, yeah. my gut reaction to this. And it's not that gut reactions are wrong, Chuck. I mean, we make gut reactions all of the time. Of course. We make snap judgments to protect ourselves and our loved ones. But the, but the point is that you, you have to have a basis for thinking. Now, well, I'm standing here at my uh, window looking out at the mountain, Rocky Mountain, the Colorado. Mm-hmm. If I were to hike out into those mountains, and I know them pretty well. I've hiked all these trails. I've been here for a long time. Good for there you. There are still times where I get confused. I take, I, if I'm going on a long hike, especially in an unfamiliar area, I take a map. I take mm. a compass. Now, imagine if you had that compass and said, you know, I think the best way to use the compass is to make sure the red needle is always pointing toward me. Then I'll never get lost. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you, would, you would always be lost. Yeah, exactly. You would always be lost because the whole point is to have a point of reference outside of yourself that you can orient to. Mm. And that's what we've got to have. Yeah. You know, my, I have a son who is a drug addiction counselor, and he has shared with me the first thing you have to do is get people to grapple with reality. They want to live in a fantasy world. They will never get well. Mm-hmm. They have to grapple with the reality of their condition and the reality of the real world. Yeah. Only then can they find healing. And and this is why oh, the only addiction programs that ever have ever been successful are the ones that get people to start with the reality of God. He's the one who has the power mm-hmm. to help you overcome this and find victory. Well, I certainly appreciate what you're doing there. And... Uh... <clears throat> We all have a place uh, here on this program. We reason with God's people. Uh, and you're trying to reason with with uh, young people there through Summit Ministries. Uh, the Lord says, come, let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet. In other words, just reasoning together isn't going to do the job. Uh, there's going to have to be a change. And that's where truth comes in. So... Uh, you indicate that politics is truth applied to community. I thought that was really great. Politics is <laughs> yeah. truth applied to community. Uh, fold, unfold that for us a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole chapter in the book and probably a whole other show that we ought to do at some point. But the, but the reality is polis is the word for city. Mm-hmm. Uh, so politics would be, would refer to the rule of a city. Uh, we are citizens. And in the United States of America, I know you've got listeners all over the world, but I'm speaking in the American context right now. Right. As Abraham Lincoln said, we have government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Mm-hmm. Well, the Apostle Paul says, obey your rulers. Well, who are your rulers? In the United States of America, it is the people. We the, the people. Government does, mm-hmm. not, government does not give you your rights. At best, the government can secure the rights that have been given to you by God. So we want to understand that being involved as citizens is the only way we can truly 
obey God when it comes to the idea of politics. So the, the sense of the breakdown of community, even as reflected in politics, is due to the breakdown of truth in the society. No, yeah, no question. I mean, I, listen, I live in Manatee Springs, Colorado. This town is so far left, they think Bernie Sanders is too conservative. To be <laughs> you, you, do you, uh, so do you live in a it. spiritual bomb shelter then? I get it. I get it. I understand. I mean, I'm talking to people every day who disagree with me fundamentally about the nature of everything. Uh-huh. So I understand how difficult that can be. Yet we can maintain community. And part of that is because we have things that are core to our how we want to live together that we can agree on, Mm. even if we disagree about so many other things. This is possible. It is not impossible. Don't believe the social media that says that nothing can ever uh, cause us to come together as Americans around anything that would that would really help us. I just don't believe that's true. I've seen so, so many times in history where it was Christians. Uh, leading out of their uh, biblical beliefs who brought the change. Well, certainly William Wilberforce was a good example of that there in not-so-jolly old England. A great example. I like to talk about John Witherspoon, who was the president of uh, what's now Princeton University for 28 years, Mm -hmm. trained 478 students who became House members of the House of Representatives, members right. of the Constitutional Convention, senators, even a president, James Madison, was one of his students. Now, this guy, for 28 years, his career never influenced more than 478 people, and yet he changed the whole course of history. Why? Because he believed in what he called true religion, what we would say today is worldview, that you teach that your faith applies to everything. I have a question for you as you brought that up. Is not the real issue not worldview, but God view? Yeah, well, that, yes, of course, it depends on how you define the term. How it's your understanding of God begins the process of a, a pattern that applies to everything else. What you, what you believe about God will affect what you believe about reality itself, True. which affects what you believe about right and wrong, which affects what you believe about makes a good, what makes a good society, and so forth. Which is the, so, so the fear of the Lord, then, is the foundation, uh, as the Scripture says, the root of all wisdom. And uh, so the fear of the Lord is foundational to having a godly worldview. That's right. So you've, you've got to start with, you've got to start with, and I call it a biblical Christian worldview. So it's rooted in Scripture. Uh, there are lots of smart Christians through time who've explained it and helped to help other people to understand how that applies to life, and they've sacrificially done that. So yeah, worldview is a pattern of ideas, uh, but it's, you start with you start with a biblical worldview, and you end up in a very different place than if you're starting with the counterfeit worldviews that have identified some of the problems we face but make up solutions that just make things worse. Well, if you didn't believe that truth really does change everything, uh, you wouldn't be doing and dedicating your life to what you do, would you? I do believe, that's correct, I do believe that truth does change everything. But we've got to understand that what I mean by that is, Jesus is the truth. Mm -hmm. This is not just a logical proposition. This is not just an argument that we make. It is a person. And once we start with the person of Jesus, 
and we start looking out at the rest of history, we realize it was people who believed that that changed everything in science, art, education, politics, justice, even the way we work, even the way we value one another, all of those things are a heritage of those Jesus followers. So I'm just, you know, my hope is through what we're doing at Summit Ministries and through this book, True Changes Everything, that we will really see uh, people gain some hope and say, well, if they could do it then, we can do it now. I think it's going to take a revival in God's house. Judgment's going to begin at the house of God. And if less than 50% of professing Christians believe in absolute truth, we absolutely don't believe the gospel. and We absolutely don't believe that God is God. Therefore, that has to be recovered before we're going to make the kind of mark that I think you're uh, you're hoping for. That's right. Well, I imagine two kinds of people reading the book. One, I, I imagine believers reading it saying, oh, I see. My faith isn't just about my personal opinions. Mm-hmm. But that I, It's not just that I'm trying to get a little more, little more Jesus in my life. Jesus is the basis of everything. And then second, I want people who are not believers to have the opportunity to read the book and say, what was it about these Jesus followers that changed so many things in the course of history? Maybe I need to begin reexamining my own life. All right, so this would be a good book for our listeners to uh, give to uh, uh, young people, their own kids, college students, and so on, that are uh, being troubled by their exposure in their colleges and universities. Uh, They're wondering, they're waging war in this uh, truthless generation that says everything goes. Uh, I think it would be a helpful book in that regard. The book, friends, Truth Changes Everything, How People of Faith, that is, True Followers of Christ, Can Transform the World in Times of Crisis. $17. We'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Again, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. See, we're confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home. That's what we're doing today. And in doing that, we're also preparing the way of the Lord because this is how we stand and occupy till he comes. That's what Dr. Jeff Myers is doing with Summit Ministries. That's what we're doing here with Save America Ministries. And I hope you'll join all of us in these efforts. Become a partner. Send your gifts by faith, friends, to Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. What's your website, Jeff? Summit.org. Summit.org. God bless you, my friend. Thanks for joining us here on the program. Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.